0: The title for what we're considering today is the life we're given and the life we give away. I was thinking of changing the title this morning when I came in and saw Sean because uh, you could just as easily say the life we're given and the life we share with others. But this is better. The life we are given and the life we give away I'm going to lead you to the point where you realize at the end of this sermon, uh, something that should be obvious to all of us, you cannot give away what you do not have. And my conviction and the conviction of many of us here in this room is that we are charged with sharing with others the good news of Yeshua the Messiah, the good news of the sending forth of the Spirit, the good news of eternal life in the age to come. We're charged. We are the emissaries of this. We're the messengers. But we can't give away what we don't have. And without pointing an accusing finger at anybody, I would say that my perception is that too many people have a lackluster, uh, namby-pamby, cliche-ridden view of what this is all about. Uh, is all that we have to share with people, is a, is a, a fire escape from hell? Say the magic words, and you won't go to hell, you go to heaven when you die. Is that all that we have? Is that, is that it? I want you to know it is not. So looking at the experience of Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher, I want to extract four principles that outline for us the life that we've been given that is worth sharing with other people. In fact, the life that we are given that we are charged to share with other people. And my hope is that for all of us here, we'll go out from this place expecting more of our relationship with God and finding even more than we expect. Okay, so join me in a word of prayer. Eternal God, source of all being, non-contingent one, the one whose existence depends on nothing else, but upon whom everything else depends for its existence. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we come to you and we ask for your help. Help us that during this hour, you would light up our minds, light up our hearts, that you would fill us with your spirit, and you would cause us to be transformed, not for our own enjoyment, but for your namesake, and for the sake of the people around us who, like God, like you said to Jonah, people who don't know their right hand from their left, help us that we might have much to share with them, that we will understand more about the life that we are given in order that we might be able to more enthusiastically and effectively give it away to others. Help us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, be welcome in our midst, we uh, we ask you, in the name of the one who loved us, who gave himself for us, and who stands at the Father's right hand, ever making intercession for people like us. In his name we come, boldly, asking for your mercy. Amen. Amen. Okay. Four aspects of the life that Moses describes in the passage which uh, Steve read. First of all, ours is an accompanied life. It's an accompanied life. Moses says to Hashem, he says, "For you, you have not told me, you have not shown me who you're going to send with me. Who will you be sending with me? Moses said, ah, you know, you've given me charge to take care of these people that I've led out of Egypt, taken to the promised land, but I'm not going. I'm not going alone. Are you going it alone in your life with God? Uh, You've heard from God, like Moses heard from God, but afterwards, do you feel like God patted you on the back and said, okay, Richard, okay, Marsha, okay, Hannah, okay, Stephen, okay, uh, see you later. (laughs) Is that what it is? That's not what it is. What we're called to is an accompanied life. And I'm going to show it to you from the Birkhar Shah as well. This is what we should expect. True confessions. I've been a religious professional for maybe close to 50 years. And much of the time, I was just busy uh, with information and with communication of information and processing information with people. But I didn't have uh, a developed sense of the fact of, wait a minute, God is with me. Uh, I, I am accompanied in every moment of every day. I'm accompanied. I, I'm going to refer to the Holy Spirit later on. I hope I don't upset any Baptists here by talking about the Holy Good. Spirit. But uh, I call the Holy Spirit God's uh, uh, companion presence. We are companioned by God. That's what Moses said. I'm not going unless, so, unless you go with me, unless someone you send goes with me, maybe the angel of his presence. But we don't have to dot any I's or cross any T's here. I just want you to remember one thing. Ours is an accompanied life. I'll get back to that later on. Secondly, ours is an informed life. It's not just a life of experience. It's a life of information. It's a life of of growing understanding of who God is and of what his ways are and what he expects of us. Moses says, Show me your ways so that I will understand you and continue finding favor in your sight. The life to which God has called us is a life in which he's going to to explain himself to us. He's going to explain life to us. We're going to learn. Are we going to learn everything? No. Even Paul the Apostle, whose relationship with God uh, has been the envy of 2,000 years of people, he said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, we see through a glass darkly. Uh, uh, We don't always get it right. It's a little smudgy. But these are God's smudges. So not only do we have an accompanied life, it's an informed life. Moses says, you know, God says, he says, show me your way so that I will understand you and continue finding favor in your life. It's not bad to have the privilege of understanding something true about the source of all being, about the God before whom angels fall down as we saw in the New Covenant reading, in cherubim and seraphim, they fall down and cry, holy, holy, holy. This God has deigned to, within limits, explain himself and his ways to us. So the life to which we're called is not a namby-pamby, yawning kind of conventional life. There is nothing conventional about it. It's an accompanied life. It's an informed life. Thirdly, it's an intimate life. Yes, yes. Moses says, na Show me your glory. Yes. Yes. He's saying, "God, show me who you really are. Uh, show me, show me your heart. Show me, show me yourself deeply." What, what a request that is! Yes. It would normally. That's the most chutzpahedic question I think I've ever heard in my life. What chutzpah? But no, Moses had been drawn near to God. God had assigned him to lead his precious people out of Egypt. And God knew that Moses was not, not just being cheeky, that, that it, was, it, was, it was an expression of great love and great need. And, and yes. he says, show me your glory. Yes. That's the life to which we're called. It's an intimate life. It's not just that we know that God is with us. It's not just that we have a bunch of information. That in itself is not enough. You can have a lot of information and not have any relationship with God at all. You just have a relationship with information. Anybody know anybody who has a relationship with information? It's a lot of people like that. God wants more for us. He doesn't want us just to have a sense, well, I know God is with me, and I know all the right answers. He wants us to know that he's calling us to an intimate life in which we will, to some extent, see his glory both here and fully later on. Fourth, ours is a supernatural life. God says to Moses, in front of all your people, I will do wonders such have not been created anywhere on earth or in any nation. That's quite a promise. God says to Moses, I'm going to do stuff for you and your people that no other people in any place on the earth have ever seen. Now, you're already thinking in your mind, that was Moses and that was then. Well, I'll take you a little further with this, but this is the life to which Moses was called and I'm contending with you, this is the life to which we are called. It is a supernatural life, and I will confess that for much of my life as a believer, I just didn't even think about that. But it is a supernatural life. Yes, yes. Now let's, let me back up my act here. I'm sorry, this print is too small. I don't know how that happened. Ours is an accompanied life. Yeshua says, I am with you always, even the to the end of the ages. And he says, but I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the comforting counselor will not come to you. However, if I go, I will send him to you. The presence of the Spirit is meant to be God's companion presence with us. The Spirit is meant to be an adequate compensation for the physical absence of Yeshua. I'll say it again. The presence of the Spirit is meant to be an adequate compensation for the physical absence of Yeshua. He says to his disciples that night, he says, I'm going away. I got bad news and good news. The bad news. I'm going away and where I'm going you can't come. And then he says, but it's to your advantage that I go away. What? It's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you, to be with you forever. To be God's companion presence with us. So ours is an accompanied life. Not just Moses, but you and me. Ours is an informed life. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is given to us. This is not so that we can be cocky and Mr. Smarty Pants. But he will guide us into all truth. So, ours is an informed life. Ours is an intimate life. Look at this. this is I, I want to encourage you to read, not just read, to soak in, to bathe in. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those four chapters, to me, are like the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. They they are very intimate, and they're very revelatory. They're absolutely remarkable. And I could not begin to do justice at all to them, even if I preached a six-month series. But here, this passage, <coughs> ours is an intimate life. He says, Yeshua is to the Father. On the night he was betrayed, and he said, I pray not only for these, that is, the 12 apostles, And also the women who are there, by the way. But also those who will trust in me because of that word. Who's that? Us. Us. Yeshua is praying for us. Does God answer Yeshua's prayers? Does he ever say no? Never. Not to to Yeshua. Well, you got it. This is what happens when people come in late. I pray not only for these, but also for those who will trust in me because of their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are united with me, and I am united with you, I pray that they may be united with us. Now, you hear that? He says, Father, just as you are united with me, and I am united with you, I pray that they may be united with us. We're being invited into the fellowship of the, of the beingness of God, of the triunity of God. We experience that fellowship that the Father and the Son have together. We're supposed to be participants in this. Do I understand this? No. The term for it, by the way, fancy term, you want to look it up? You like fancy terms. Perichoresis, the fa- fancy term is perichoresis. Oh, yeah, you studied Greek. You know everything. Okay so. I pray that they may be united with us so the world may believe that you sent me. Now look at this. We talked about glory he says show me your glory Moses says. Look what Yeshua says the glory which you have given to me I have given to them so they may be one just as we are one. I united with them you with me so that they may be completely one and the world will thus realize that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. So, are we called to an intimate life with God? Is it just a life of being accompanied? Is it just a life of being informed? No. We don't have a relationship of information, it's a life of intense intimacy that is available to us, although, frankly, Very few of us bother. That's why I'm talking to you today. Let's look a little more. Ours is a supernatural life. On the same night, Yeshua says, yes, indeed, this is uh, John 14, yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever trusts in me will also do the works I do. Whoever. Does that mean just the 12 apostles? No. No whoever, whoever trusts in me will also do the works I do. Indeed, he will do greater ones because I'm going to the Father. In fact, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That doesn't mean as, uh, oh, what's her name? Lord, will you buy me your Mercedes-Benz? Uh, uh, I'll remember her name later on. Janus and, huh? Janice Joplin. Joplin. That doesn't mean that whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. You want a Cadillac? Go ahead and ask for it. You want a jet? I'll give it to you. No. It's what we ask him, consistent with what he has sent us to do. We are his servants. We are his, his representatives. And as we are living out our assignment from him, if we need some help from, from home base, he says, I'll take care of it. I won't leave you stranded out there. That's what he's talking about. But he says also you'll do the works that I do, greater works than I do because I'm going to the Father and therefore sending forth the Spirit. In fact, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask for something in my name, I will do it. I will back up your act. The Home Office will back you up out on the field if you are sharing the right product. That's what I was talking about earlier. So... The life we've been given, in summary, is an accompanied life, it's an informed life, it's an intimate life, and it's a supernatural life. This is a quote from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy at USC. Extremely bright and very godly man who unfortunately died a few years ago. He wrote a number of books. Uh, This is from uh, his book called Hearing God, which was one of the most important books in my life that I ever read. And he said this, uh, as a matter of fact, Melissa, do me a favor. Come up here and read that off the screen for us. because I like the way you read. And here's a microphone. If we are really to understand the Bible record, we must enter into our study of it on the assumption that the experiences recorded there are basically of the same type as ours would have been if we had been there. Unless this comes home to us, the things that happen to the people in the Bible will remain unreal to us. We will not genuinely be able to believe the Bible or find its contents to be real, because it will have no experiential substance for us. Right. If when you read the Bible, you're always saying, well, that was Paul, but I'm not Paul. That was Moses, but I'm not Moses. That was Jacob, but I'm not Jacob. If you're always doing that, then you're always disidentifying with the Bible. And so the Bible, at best, becomes a repository of respectable information. But it doesn't speak into your life. It doesn't give you a basis for anything. Thank you very much, Melissa. Let's look at a little more. This is from me. Many of us are Bible deists. We are experts in what the Bible says, but are either categorically convinced that none of its dynamics are accessible to us, or just upward in the assumption that that was then and now is now. We are convinced that nothing that happened in the Bible can happen in our lives. Our faith becomes nothing more than words about words, a collection of safe, approved Opinions. That's what I talked about at the beginning of the service, beginning of the sermon. That it's not good enough. I was privileged to travel in every one of the fifty states and a couple of foreign countries when I was the music director of Jews for Jesus a million years ago. I wrote most most of their music, and I remember being at a church doing. we were going to do a concert. We were in Texas. It was a Southern Baptist church, and the average age of the people in the congregation was about 96. (laughs) And there was a steep staircase up to the sanctuary. Uh, uh, I'm amazed. Steep staircase. And these very nice people, they read from their Sunday school quarterly as part of their lesson, but it became clear to me that for these lovely people, what their faith was about was having the right answers to the right questions. Is that all that we have? a bunch of information? That's sad. Moses has shown us, and Yeshua has shown us, that there's something more. Yes. Our faith should be more than just words about words, more collection of safe, approved opinions. Yeah. It would be wise to remember Moses' words in our Torah reading. How else, is it to be, how else is it to be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, other than, than by your going with us? How will people know we're the people of God if you don't show up, we have nothing to say. Even when he first meets God at Sinai 40 years earlier, no, not 40 years earlier, a few years earlier, when he first meets God there, he says, when I go back to Egypt and tell the people I'm going to take you out of Egypt, who should I say sent me? He says, you know, uh, uh, I, gotta, I, 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 need, I need more than a commission here. And how else will people know that we've found favor? I and your people other than by your going with us. That is what distinguishes us, me and your people, from all the other peoples on the earth. This is what is supposed to distinguish us, the presence of God in the midst of God's people. Now that's a very radical thing to say. That doesn't mean you have to act Pentecostal. It doesn't mean you wave your jacket and people fall down. But it does mean That if we don't bring the presence of God with ourselves to people, if we don't offer people a living relationship with a living God, then it's just words about words. And it's not what the Bible told us to expect. I'm not making this stuff up. So, getting back to it. We should pray as we read his word. God, show me how what I am reading could become a reality in my life. As you were with Moses and with you as disciples, be with me, O oh God. Show me your glory. Does that make sense to you? So, as I said at the beginning, we can only give away what we have. If we don't have much of a relationship with God, we can't give much away. So, this is the life that we are to give away to other people, which should be a life, which must be a life that we ourselves have. And here it is. Sharing our faith means giving to others the kind of life we have been given. We can only give away what we have. What kind of life with God do you have? What kind of life with God do I have? Put this at the top of your list of important questions. And may the God of Israel show us his glory. May we have a life that is an accompanied life, an informed life, an intimate life with God, a supernatural life. Let's pray. Father, what I've talked about today is very highfalutin. It's, uh, it's rather grandiose. But you're a grandiose God. I told Moses, I'm going to do something for you and your people that has never been done by any, for any nation on the face of the earth. You're a grandiose God. Yeshua said that the people who believe in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than I do, they will do, because I go to the Father. That's pretty grandiose, God. So frankly, I just preached a very grandiose sermon. And I cannot deliver to other people these benefits that I named. Only you can. So I pray for each of you here that God would plant in you a persistent hunger, a persistent longing, a holy insistence where you will be people who will not settle for a conventional, respectable, ho-hum life with God. May you long for and May you find exceedingly abundantly beyond all you ask or even think the life that has been described to you today. I ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.